Hi everyone and welcome to the Raw Show with Michael, with Michael McDonald. I have a very special guest. I have James <laughs> Stefan Yusupchuk with us today. So James, oh. thank you for joining me on the show. <laughs> uh, thanks a lot, Michael. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, I'm so glad I got the, the name pronunciation right there, James. <laughs> yeah, you and me both. You can imagine the, all the abuse I went through in high school. Oh, I can just imagine. All right, so James is a Montreal native. He's the CEO and founder of the Digital Marketing Agency, JSU Solutions, what began as a small enterprise in 2012 that has grown exponentially up to and coming empire earning James such nicknames as the social media conversion scientist and the Facebook ads whisperer. With a background in psychology and communication studies, James is an early adopter, quick to investigate the full potential of the latest communications technologies and discover new opportunities for his clients. Through his innovative approach, it's amazing how I can get the, the last name right, but then <laughs> mid-sentence, I can't quite do it. No problem. <laughs> so through his innovative approach he has created unique successful strategies and given small brands the kind of marketing push usually reserved for large enterprises since starting the company james has become a sought-after consultant speaker in addition to his daily role so yeah there's quite a lot going on it seems definitely gives the impression that you do a lot for for the small businesses and small companies that I guess are more likely to be reserved for the the bigger brands but I want to start with with yourself James so mm. would you be able to share with with me and our listeners where, where you were born and what it was like for you growing up all right so uh, I was born in Montreal uh, Canada um, and uh, I grew up uh, you know a pretty happy kid I was diagnosed with cancer at the age of two and uh, went through you know, a pretty tough time with my parents where, you know, they obviously cancer is always something where, you know, you physically go through it. And I've had a couple of friends go through it at a later stage in their life where, um, you know, they, they feel the physical effects. But what I remember the most was being at such a young age, you don't really recall like all the physical things happening. But I remember, um, you know, even at two years old, watching my parents uh, experience, you know, what it was for me to have cancer, which was more painful than actually going through it. You know, those are the memories that are kind of seared into my brain. Um, so that was kind of the springboard for, for everything. Um, you know, I was, uh, cure, well, I guess, uh, cleared of cancer at the age of four, and I went through, you know, follow-ups and tests, and uh, obviously had surgery, chemo, radiation before that, but then I went through about 10 years of follow-up. Um, and between that, uh, at the age of five, I uh, started doing a lot of fundraising, you know, which is, you know, it's, it takes a lot of um, thinking and planning for a five-year-old to stay like, yeah, I actually want to raise money during lunch hour and recess and all that stuff um, to, to go for something that's bigger than myself, right? I had a lot more of a fundamental understanding of what life was and, and how important and, and precious it was. And uh, I wanted to raise money to the, um, you know, the association that kind of, you know, put research into children's diseases. Um, at that time, it was called the Telephone of Stars. Um, and so there would be like, you know, a big TV show at the end of the year, you present a check. Um, and I did that for over 10 years, um, up until, uh, you know, midway through high school, and I raised over $30,000 on my own. Um, and that's kind of what built me as a person. I really learned, you know, my parents were extremely supportive and, and, and passionate. And, you know, they just, you know, they wanted to encourage me no matter what I did. Um, and, and so, you know, instead of playing video games and whatnot, that was my uh, free time. 
and uh, we did spaghetti dinners and all that kind of stuff. And uh, it, it kind of built my character the way it is, where I, I became extremely independent, extremely goal-oriented, goal um, highly motivated uh, to the point where um, I believe that's the, 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 the fostering of that entrepreneurial drive you know, that we're seeing a lot of in the last, you know, five, six years, at least in Montreal, you know, the entrepreneurial community is, uh, it's small for what it should be. It should be much bigger, but we have a lot of uh, more traditionalist nine to five um, kind of, uh, you know, groups. And, and only in the last five, six years, we've seen a huge boom in entrepreneurship. And that's how my kind of foray into the, into the, the world of entrepreneurship started. You know, I started freelancing, um, you know, when I was in uh, college and I started getting a hang of it and uh, when I got my psychology uh, degree and I, uh, my design background, um, I kind of started, uh, I, I dove really quickly into Twitter. Twitter was my first, uh, my first love for social media. I loved the immediacy of it. Uh, at the time I was following hockey like nonstop, right? Um, and my favorite team is the Montreal Canadiens. And so you would look at Twitter looking for breaking news. And, and I kind of, I started writing, you know, because I, I, I loved expressing and I loved trying things out. And I realized, um, you know, I was writing for this company called the, the Hockey Guys. And I said to myself, hey, you know, if I were to just manage their Twitter account, I'm sure I could get more people to read my articles. And uh, lo and behold, that's what happened. It, uh, I asked the, the owner at the time, who's a buddy of mine now, Dustin Lee, and I said, Dustin, you know, can I, just, can I just promote my own stuff? And he's like, yeah, I totally go for it. So I started creating, using my design, and I started thinking, what would people want to see? What would capture their attention? And that's kind of where it all clicked. And I sort of saw the overlay between, like, you know, the cognitive behavior and, and, and people's expectations and buyer persona development with my passion for writing and my passion for design. And I started to do it before even I knew what AB testing was, I started to do, you know, different styles of, of, you know, image headlines with my articles. And I would see, Oh, this one gets 10,000 clicks. Oh, this one gets 4,000. Oh, this do more of this, you know, and it, it kind of exploded that way. And then I had a couple of people ask me, you know, what do I charge? And what's my, 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 my rate. And I was like, well, I don't know, I'm just doing this for fun. And I'm just a guy who wants people to read his stuff. And, um, and then I had one person who approached me, his name was Eric T. Tung. He's uh, uh, considered my friend out of uh, Texas. And uh, Eric was like, you should really think about the agency model. Um, this is kind of a, you know, pretty uh, unique uh, skill set. And I was like, well, thanks. And um, then I started to think, well, you know, what, what the hell is an agency model? Like, what, what, what does that even look like? I, it was so foreign to me. And, and at the time where Facebook advertising was so, it was not even a thought, right? People were still going into the yellow pages. They were still doing, and I have nothing against the yellow pages. I have friends that work there, but, you know, they were doing that, traditional radio, and this was a booming thing. And to, to start dabbling in, in something as foreign as Facebook ads, where you don't even have an assurance, you don't, it has no track record. You're like, well, you know, I guess I'll, I'll try it and see what happens. And uh, it quickly became, you know, something of a, of a passion of mine where, you know, I, I just, you know, I applied to, you know, I applied for the advertiser status. I started trying things out. And before you know it, I had people lining up saying, Hey, can you advertise this? Hey, can you work with this? And then I realized I needed a team. And so I kind of said, well, you know, I'll just put everything to the side for the, the writing because that was taking up too much of my time. And I had, at that point, I originally um, I had, uh, acquired the hockey guys. I bought them out and became majority owner. So I just, you know, I delegated that to a team and then I started my own thing um, with the, with JSU solutions. And it just, uh, it kind of grew exponentially from there. Every year we've seen over, I mean, a minimum 300% growth year by year. And, uh, you know, we've been doing it, doing this for five years. So it's, uh, 
it's just this roller coaster of insane momentum. And um, believe it or not, this is the first year we're actually advertising ourselves. Um, before that, we never really had to. It was always through referral word of mouth, and it was just in the amount of, of, of reach it had. I had clients from Australia referring me to clients in Germany, referring me to clients in the United Kingdom. It was insane. It was so surreal for me to you know imagine you know, taking this non-existent like career path that did, nobody even heard of it in Montreal and turning it into a bona fide you know career trajectory now I just came back from London UK um, last week visiting one of our, our dear clients and I'm going back to Toronto in two weeks and it's it's this thing where it's it's created a, a life of its own now I'm, I'm, I'm traveling all over the world um, doing what I love and uh, you know that all stemmed from you know my my fundraising and you know doing that entrepreneurial stuff at such a young age all right well uh, <laughs> I'm not sure if you, you managed to hear me there James but you did actually cut out for a minute so once oh. you got to the so it's, well, once you got past the referral side you actually cut out for maybe oh no ooh, maybe five or ten seconds which which is which is fine well We'll leave that in because sure. uh, we want people to understand that you know sometimes these things do happen. Mm. Um, so one of the one of the first things that really piqued my interest was when you you mentioned that you you started in the in, in the fundraising realm. So you mm -hmm. actually started when you were was it five was it that you actually That's said right. okay I, I'm actually going to start raising money for for cancer which. It's not something I'll admit. There's not there's not a lot in there that suggests that a five year old would have to do that. A five year old mm -hmm. would do those kinds of things. So, I mean, it's from from my point of view, I've got uh, cystic fibrosis and diabetes, James. Mm -hmm. So I I completely understand where you're coming from in terms of the the discipline that you need, the motivation that you need. It's more internal than than anything else. Mm -hmm. So what? What caused the the shift from from fundraising to, to to trying to take the advertising thing and turn it into a business? Was there anything that that stands uh -huh. out? Is there anything that because obviously a, a lot of people would would listen to that and go, okay, well clearly it was just a natural progression. But mm. you know, for, for for a lot of people, they've had, they've had to make some important decisions as well. So what what went through your mind? Right, I've been thinking about this. Right, it was only as of recently in the last year where I realized that was the common denominator, like you know, between fundraising and and growing that and 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 focusing on that element, and and starting the business. What what I loved about fundraising was helping people, um, meeting new people, learning their story, um, and and finding out like how how can I, not just help you, but like what can I do that you know tomorrow and the next day and the next day I can look back when I you know in, in twenty years and I can ask myself. The legacy I've left behind, what is it? Is it you know, how much money I made, how much profit I made? No, for me, it's how many people that I help along the way, you know, throughout my life, right? So that was the foundation, you know, as I got older, obviously, I didn't think about that when I was five. As in five, I was very goal-oriented. I want to raise money for this group to help kids, right? That was my thing. But as I grew older, I was thinking to myself, I want to help more than just just kids. I want to help everybody. I want to help people, the parents that go through, right? Because like that's what what it made a the strongest impression for me was you know seeing my my own parents go through this, and I was telling myself there must be something I can do. And the 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 crossover between fundraising and entrepreneurship, um, and in my in my own business is um, my passion for networking 
making connections, helping people, learning who they are, even to this day, the way I use my LinkedIn account, um, you know, I have over 5,000 connections that I just literally, anybody who connects with me that, you know, that, that just, their profile looks interesting. I reach out and I'm like, hey, how can I help you? Like, I'm not even pushing anything. I don't even actually sell anything when I meet clients, right? Or potential clients. I just, I listen to their problems and I provide solutions with no expectation. And that's how we get so many because they're like, I can't believe you just, you give us this stuff. Like this is stuff I had to pay a consultant $10,000 and you're literally just saying, well, here, do this, this, and this, and here's your roadmap. And like, well, you know, can you just do it for me? So for me, it all stems back to that philosophy of wanting to help people, wanting to connect with people, learn their story, network, and, and the agency thing. Well, that took my passion and my knowledge of psychology and it, it, it just happened to mix really well with design and communications. And when you combine that, and obviously social media is the embodiment of networking, right? It's a, it's a, a multiple ecosystems of people who know people, right? And, and I remember when I worked in the corporate world, it was, you know, I keep hearing this, this old turn of phrase, it's not what you know, it's who you know, right? And I told myself, like, you know, where can you be where you know everybody, or you know as many people that can help you as you can help them uh, at any given moment. And that was social media. And so, you know, mixing those elements of, well, you know, I, I love networking. I love meeting people. I love the, the human part of it. And I love social media and its immediacy and the way it works and how it connects people. And I love, you know, these three elements of, you know, psychology, communication, design. Uh, that kind of naturally, you know, made a, a transition into the, the agency and my, the advertising side of things. Well, I'm a numbers guy. So like it just came to, it came down to, uh, you know, what do people want? People want to grow their business, right? Well, you know, you can't really do that by just tweeting every day. You have to really think about the macro level strategy. What's the big picture? What's the, the end game here? And, and getting into advertising was kind of this, you know, I fell into it. I didn't wake up, uh, you know, at uh, you know, age eight, 18 and say, I wanted to do advertising. I know this is what I want to do right now. Um, no, but, but the ability of understanding a person in the psychology space mixed with design was a natural fit in, in, in advertising because um, the best companies in the world, the best campaigns you see, they literally understand their customer 100%. If you can do that, you can effectively advertise to them. So that's kind of, you know, those three pillars that really, projected and, and, and shot me into um, this this whole marketing space that I'm in now. Ah right. So it it did it did have this this sort of initial stem from I want to help more than, mm-hmm. than just the, the fundraising side, which is which is good I guess. I mean was was there anything that that led up to that? Was there any moments where you sort of said like, okay, well, maybe I can help other people. So there is this element of, can you actually do that? Did, did, did you have that conversation with yourself or was it more of, no, I'm just going to go ahead and do it? Yeah, well, I think it was a bit of both, right? So I'm, a, I'm not as much of, a, like, a, I'm not impulsive, but I, I do like to think that if I have an idea, I will execute it with a good, with a good vision and then, you know, and then I'll see, like, was it feasible or whatnot. Um, but when I look at, the you know the the way this played out fundraising and the way i was doing it, i was getting paid to do it right it was all volunteer work and i knew that i can't live off of being a volunteer it's just not realistic mm-hmm. um and so i asked myself well how can i mix what i've learned and what i've done and and all this clout and and and, and momentum i've generated for myself my own personal development um, and how can i employ that into a in a position where i can 
be my own boss, but also, you know, have that kind of self-fulfillment of, of helping others and, and, you know, empowering them. And, and that's kind of how I, I, I found this niche um, because I was not necessarily thinking like, um, you know, if you imagine like a mind map, right at the center is all, you know, CEO of a digital marketing agency that wasn't on the table. It was more, I was looking for elements that fit my lifestyle, what I wanted to do. So, um, you know, being able to work on my own, um, being able to help multiple people all at once, so the multiple client relations that we have rather than working for one company, um, being able to dictate my terms. So like we're one of the claims to fame that we have is we are very picky with who we work with. We have to believe in the product. We have to believe in the team. We have to believe in their long-term goals, their short-term goals. We have, like this, There's a reason why I fly um, you know, all over the world to, to meet our clients and sit down and workshop with them as either their, you know, acting CMO or their marketing partner or what have you. It's because we truly at 100% believe what they have and we know that they will be successful. We know that we bring these elements to the table that can really grow them. So that was like, you know, how can I, how can I incorporate that into my, my, my career, my lifestyle? Um, and it was also understanding like all of this, how can I, how can I really, drive the bus, what would make the most efficient person to help people? And that was to, you know, dictate my own schedule, my own terms and all that kind of stuff. And that's kind of how it, you just, you laid down all these factors of what I was looking for and I combined it with what I love and as well as, you know, my experience and, and what, I, what I was already doing. And it just, you know, I started trying it out and it just kind of fell so well. And the timing, I mean, like, it's kind of silly, but I say I was really lucky. You know, they couldn't have picked a better timing to start it because right now, if you look at people that are starting ad agencies and whatnot, it's, a, it's an uphill battle. There's a lot of people out there that, you know, they're, they make false promises or fake claims or what have you, and um, they create a really negative image um, for agencies. And it's, it's too bad because I have a lot of friends that have really successful, uh, you know, well-run agencies. And, um, you know, it's, it truly becomes a... Uh, uh, a place where you have to stand unified and 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 now if you were to want to try start your own agency or start your own company um, you're already going into an area where there is a great deal of hesitation from people who have already been burnt before and we've dealt with a couple of them where they're like I don't really know if I want I know I need you but I don't know how because I've been burnt before um, and so there's a real like level um, uh, degree of hesitation um, versus when I started um, there was more a degree of people not sure whether it was, but willing to experiment. So there was the early adoption phase. Now people know they need Facebook, but it's just, you know, who do they work with? Who's trustworthy? So we have that, you know, we've built that expertise and we have that in our, you know, our ace up our sleeve that people know who we are, uh, you know, at least in Canada, we're, we're very well known, but um, it's, it's just one of those things where had I not done it when I did it, um, it would have been a real, a much more of a tough uh, uh, kind of situation to go through and a lot more um, not that it was easy but a lot more resistance would have I would have met a lot more resistance in, in working with people yeah definitely I mean it, it, it sounds like you you hit the the tide when it was low before it just became this, <laughs> this huge thing that became very difficult to, right. to scale so I mean there's there's a lot that you've mentioned that seem at least to me along the same kind of theme again it sort of stems back from the fundraising and in mm -hmm. my mind I mean there are a lot of people out there that that aren't as, as motivated as yourself. Maybe mm -hmm. it's because of the the fact that you were diagnosed with cancer and managed to, to get it cleared and things, and it made you maybe even 
you know, reassess your, your your life at a different level. I mean, for for me, I guess from from my own situation, it's always been it's always been a priority for me to do something that I actually want to do and and live the way I actually want to live. And you mentioned before about like having to fit things into your into your lifestyle and have to mm-hmm. fit things into the way you you actually want to live in the first place. And it seems to be a running theme across people that have experienced a certain level of there's definitely some kind of adversity in in their lives and it seems it seems like it's it's almost a regular recurrence in people that mm-hmm. have had that but what what would you say differentiates people that have experienced that from people that haven't well i mean i think it comes down to like we look now it's it's pretty common where people are talking about the startup world the entrepreneur lifestyle the you know digital nomad these are all you know heavily sought after you know desirable ways of living um but a lot of people come up with the hesitation of oh that's too much work that's that's so much work to get there um and and i don't know if i want to do that you know like i i think it, i, I want to go for something safer I'm like and i get that i understand you know especially if you have kids you have a family it's it's a huge task to say hey do you you know potentially be okay with me maybe not making a salary for three years while i build this thing yeah, that may or may not work that's a huge gamble but at the same time um you only live once um, you have to pick, you know, timing is everything. It has to be the right time in your life. It has to be the right moment in your life. Um, you know, and some people start later. Some people start in their forties or fifties and they have, you know, lived for, you know, they've lived in maybe, uh, the accounting space and they, you know, they always wanted to pursue, you know, being an author or something. Um, that is a, a real, uh, moment where you have to think to yourself, am I happy in life? Um, because it's not just about saying, well, you know, how, how can I mold the situation I'm in now to the situation I want to be? You have to ask yourself, whose dream do I want to build, right? Um, I, I, I'm very fortunate and, and extremely privileged to have a, a fantastic team that really understands my vision and understands what I want to build and what we're building right now. And they buy into it. And I'm forever grateful for that. And, you know, they've made it uh, so essential that we can constantly grow and scale um, because they believe in what we have. Um, but the first thing is, before you even get there, is you have to believe in yourself. Um, and if you don't believe in yourself and your idea, you don't think it's, 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 it's worth anything, um, you know, then, then it's going to be pretty hard to live an entrepreneur lifestyle where you're constantly on the fence or you're, you know, you're, you're not sure where, where the money's going to come from. It is not easy. Um, there's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. And I tell this to every client um, that just like every, every startup that we've worked with, um, they'll say, oh, well, I want to be like this guy because, you know, he came out of nowhere and now he's like a, a millionaire or a bazillionaire and he, um, you know, has these viral videos and I want to go viral. That'll make my product amazing or my service. They just will put me on the map. It has nothing to do with this overnight success. It's an illusion. It has everything to do with the fact that this person who has gone through that particular you know, success path, you've only seen them emerge, right? Imagine a submarine, they've been under the water for so long, and they've all popped up for air uh, when they start to go viral. Um, there's probably, you know, a good decade of blood, sweat, and tears in there before you see an ounce of success, right? They've been through the hard times, they've been through the cash crunches. So um, there's this, there's a two-edged sword, you know, entrepreneurship, um, this, you know, be your own boss thing, it has a very 
illustrious quality to it. Everybody's like, I want that. I want to buy a Ferrari and I want to, you know, have a Tesla drive me home. And I want to, I want to have all these things. I want to, I want to go to Bali three times of the year. I want to, uh, you know, have a house in Hawaii while I work on the beach. Right. And you see all these ads and stuff, but you really have to ask yourself, you know, is, is, is it because of these, you know, luxuries in life that you're pursuing this? If that's the case, then it's not for you, right? You have to want this lifestyle because it, it empowers you to be your own boss. It empowers you to, to know, your, know who you are inside, know your identity, and have a very crystal clear vision of where you're going. And, and if you can do that, if you can, you know, kind of believe in that, um, then, then your decision will be very clear. And if you say, well, I don't know, you know, I think it's just a good idea, but I don't know if I, if I want to do all that, then maybe it's not for you. That's okay too, right? There's tons of successful people. Um, but just because you're not going to be an entrepreneur now, doesn't mean you can't join a company or join a startup or whatever, or you're part of the dream rather than the guy leading the dream. A lot of people don't think of it that way. A lot of people think, no, it has to be me or nothing. And then the other thing is that if in order to properly execute um, or, or, you know, I had this, I asked this question on LinkedIn, LinkedIn the other day. It was, you know, what's more important to you, ideas or execution? Um, and there were some great answers. Like some, uh, you know, uh, Vin Clancy uh, is a, a great copywriter and a great growth hacker. He said, um, the best thing to do is to have a great idea with great execution. Um, and I agree with that. I think you have to have a fantastic idea, right? Uh, because if you have a great idea, but you don't know how to execute it, you don't know what the strategy is, you don't know how to reach these people, you don't know how to develop it, then it's just an idea. An idea, everybody has a thousand of them. You know, there's the old saying in design where you're only as good as the next 50 ideas you have. But if you have a great idea and you, you are passionate about it, you will find out how to execute it properly, right? You will have that entrepreneur drive will kick in, your instincts will take over, and, you know, I say this all the time, my guys look at me like I'm crazy, but you have these gut feelings, you know, like, and, and it's hard to explain. It's just this intuition of what will work well and what won't work well. And that comes with experience, but you will tell yourself, like, I just feel, you know, like, you know, if I, I speak with this person, let's say you go to a, your chamber of commerce and, you know, local, you know, business guys talking Think about how how can you how can you work with that person, right? This is the beauty of about this industry, this niche. It's about connecting the dots, networking, and figuring out how you can help each other. And more times than not, you'll see your your idea or your your plan coming to fruition. Now you can see this is actually possible. I can actually live my my dream. I can actually pursue it. I can develop it, and so on and so forth. And that's how, that's how smart, brilliant entrepreneurs are born, right? Is that you know, they start with an idea, but then they, that idea gives them drive to discover how to execute it properly. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it, it comes across at least that, that, that there's a lot that, that goes into it. I mean, now you, you often hear that, you know, well, the best marketing in the world won't will make up for a, a bad product or service and things. It kind of, it's almost like the OPR thing where it, it, it's, it's where it shows you so it like displays who you are and what you can do but it can't it can't enhance it it doesn't it doesn't enhance what you do it doesn't enhance what what it is it just makes just makes it more visible that's right so so what 
what tips could you give? So if someone wanted to go down the advertising road, I mean, they, they run their own business. It's, it's their show, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's them that doing the, the systems or the work or the product or the service or whatever it happens to be. But there, there must be some, some common themes that you've seen over the years of, of doing this that, that I guess people aren't aware of or people don't use or people don't really commit to or really focus on that, that gives them the, the more bang for their buck, so to speak. Because obviously a lot of advertising mm. is, is paid and, and people want to maximise the return on investment. So what, what tips could you give that, that maybe they're not aware of or, or something that they you know, yield the most benefit from? Yeah, there's, there's three things that come to mind. So one is if you're going to go the advertising route um, and you're going to put money into it, a lot of people make the mistake of saying, oh, I built this product. All I have to do is put it out there and people will buy. I know if, if people just know it exists, it will buy. Wrong. People have maybe three seconds. You have a, maybe three seconds of their attention in an ad, if you're lucky. Um, and, th- you know, when, you're, when you have people that are going through the, the you know, the, their newsfeed or, or their phone or Instagram or whatever, and they see your ad, in a split second, they're making an, an instant impression of, do I like this? Don't I like this? And if they like it, they will click. If they don't like it, they scroll past, right? And that is the the essence of if if you're hitting the right people, if your product is good, and, you know, and there's, there's, there's so many more data points to analyze before you, you know, start throwing your product at the window saying, oh, the ad didn't work, so the product is bad. No, but having a really bona fide, um, I would call them funnels. So understanding how to get people from point A to point B to point C to point D and so on and so forth. Um, and, and warming them up so that, you know, if you have a product that has a certain price point and you know that they need more information before they buy, uh, bringing them through a, maybe like a, a buyer's journey of information where they are, they, they love what they see and they want more. Um, so, you know, having a clear defined strategy of what happens when a person sees your ad, uh, it has to go beyond the, oh, I have a Facebook ad and that's that's where it stops. Um, companies who do that, I've seen companies, they'll come to us and they'll say, we just spent $150,000 US um, on Facebook ads last month and we got nothing and we don't know what to do and we're, 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 like, we're cash strapped now because we didn't expect that. Um, what can we do? It, it, it always starts with, you know, strategy, strategy, strategy. The other thing is to understand your customer, right? So in the design process that we do, we, you know, approach like a design thinking role where we take who has been, uh, who's our ideal customer, right? And you, you just workshop it. You say, okay, um, guy's name is Tom. He's male. He's age A to B. He's 25 to 35. Or, or maybe give more concrete name or concrete to age. He's 28. Um, he drives a Honda Civic, um, but he is a very, very big fan of tea, loves drinking, um, you know, jasmine tea, uh, loves reading Entrepreneur Magazine, um, has Hugo Boss shoes, um, invests more in, in his house than his car, you know, the, all the kind of just building that kind of archetype of, of who you're targeting, then building it in Facebook or Twitter or, you know, LinkedIn, wherever. By being able to identify those points, you can then translate that, that concept into your ads, into your design, to your copy. So you can start speaking their language, right? Versus saying, hey, I have this new product that you're going to like because you're an entrepreneur. Now it's, if you're an entrepreneur that 
has you know these three problems then this is for you and you know just as a very crude example um, you'll get five times more people that will click through because now it resonates a lot more with them because you're saying I know you I know exactly who you are what your problem is and I have a solution for you and I'm actually not even gonna charge you for it I want you to try it out or, or I'm gonna charge you this for that instead of this and they're gonna be like oh wow this is actually very relevant this is this is exactly how did they know this? How did they know I'm going through this? I've never seen a solution like I'm, I'm interested in one with more. Um, so that's two, two strategies that are key to anything, right? Buyer persona, understanding your buyer and funnel, understanding what's going to happen when they click through and, and how, how are you going to capture some kind of valuable data so you can improve your strategy, right? Strategy is never linear. It's, it's, it's varies and it's constant fluidity. Um, the other thing I would tell you is um, if you don't have ads or ad budget to spend, um, really look into influencer marketing, but be careful what's out there. Um, there's a lot of people on Instagram that will buy fake followers. There's very, there's some tools that say, oh yeah, we vet them and these followers are this and that. But the truth is they'll go to Fiverr, buy a hundred thousand followers, you know, inflate their numbers and then tell, you know, a, a Instagram post um, for, I don't know, Let's say it's a product promotion, let's say $5,000, right? But that's based off of fake numbers, fake engagement, fake fans. You're going to get nothing out of that. Do your homework. Find people that have uh, a network or, or an audience or a following that would listen to you or, or at least would be your potential buyer and work out or negotiate some kind of deal, whether it's um, a reciprocal deal, um, you know, exposure for exposure or, you know, bartering system or what have you, or it is a straight up, you know, purchase of time or something like that. Um, that could be a lot more effective when you find the right influencers rather than running ads right away. Because if you're starting from the ground up, um, the best way to create uh, a really quick exposure to the right people is finding people, finding influencers or groups that are already established, have credibility and can, can kind of skyrocket your, uh, your image pretty quickly. Those are three tips that I think um, a lot of people don't consider um, that can be very cost-effective, cost-saving, um, and can really help you scale your business. Right. So the, we often hear the the idea of of targeting and things, and trying to be really specific with with what we with what we want the ad to to do. But mm -hmm. I, I hear I hear a rumor, and you know, just <laughs> uh, you know, in the the ether, so to speak, and. Um, it's that you can actually be too specific. Yes. So, so we hear that, well, well, I hear that you can be too specific, whether it be for, for cost per, per click, if you do say Facebook or for cost per impression or whatever the case is. Is it, is it true that you can be too specific and too niche and too narrow or, or not? And if, if, if you could, is there, is the, the ideal scenario actually possible to achieve? Um, so it, it's, a, it's a, again, a double-edged sword. In some instances, yes, being too specific can alienate uh, parts of your audience, right? So we have a golden rule of like, don't have an audience size of less than 10,000. Even some people will say, oh, that's too small, that's too small, but it's relative to what you're trying to achieve. If your cost per, let's say your, your, your sale, is $1 and you're targeting 10,000 people, your cost to reach those 10,000 people will be high, very, very high, like uh, you know, $100 per 1,000 people reached. It's, it's astronomical, right? Depends on the time of year and so on and so forth. But if those 10,000 people, you need only three buyers to you know, um, make your return on investment and each buyer is $30,000, 
well, no, it doesn't really matter. You know, even if you spend a hundred thousand dollars, but you know, you, you make, uh, you know, 90,000 or let's say you spend 50,000 in ads and you make 90,000 in profit. And that's just three people out of 10,000 that have converted. Well, that's money in money out. That's a profit margin that everybody can live with. So um, it, it's relative to the product. It's relative to the niche. It's relative to the industry. It's relative to the time of year. There's a, there's a lot of other variables. Um, that would be an example of, of being small and it working. An example of it being small and not working would be um, imagine you have a product, uh, or I just talked about this with another client. They were saying, well, we want to, we're thinking about doing uh, this more on the, 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 the macro level branding, um, but rather uh, instead of the ads. And they were saying, we want to maybe do a mascot, right, for our, our brand. And I said, well, your brand's very high end right now, and it kind of it appeals to a lot of people. And if you do a mascot, um, it could really alienate a group of uh, like maybe 40 to 50% of your target market just because they don't identify with you anymore. They don't think you're a high-end premium brand. So that's how being too specific or too narrow um, can, can hurt you. You effectively could compete with yourself or, or cut off a huge uh, chunk of an audience or chunk of, of potential buyers just because of a small tweak like that. Um, from an ads point of view, again, it's like, you know, looking at, uh, let's say I'm trying to sell dog treats, right? And my dog treats are good for every, every dog. Um, but I make an audience where I'm targeting people only in, um, I don't know, Toronto and only targeting Chihuahua owners um, who are ages 25 to 30. Oh, my audience went from, uh, let's say, a million people or 500,000 people to 500. Um, if your per sale is very low, let's say it's a high-end Chihuahua brand uh, for, for food, let's say, um, and it's $100 a bag, then it still might be worth it. But again, 500 is extremely small. Um, and if, you're, if your bag only sells for $2, yeah, that's being, being too specific, too narrow, and it can really hurt you in the long run. Right, so it definitely comes across like it's all, it's all, all like tailored. It's all specific to the the person, to the the cost of, of someone buying, or for, for whatever the the case is. It's all based on the the intention, I'd imagine. So if you're paying just for just for exposure of, of content, for instance, then you're going to want that to be as low as possible in terms of per person that sees it, because they're not actually buying something from it. You're spending money for exposure and branding and that sort of thing but then if you're selling something that's that's high end you know let, let's say thousand plus per per sale then mm -hmm. then you're i would imagine at least that you're prepared to accept a higher and more specific you know person so it, it might cost you say 200 pounds or 100 pounds for that person to mm -hmm. to click through but if it's more targeted they're more likely to buy if it's more tailored to that one individual person they're more likely to buy and if they do buy we well, still made money on on the product so i guess right. i guess it does lend itself over to this idea of it does depend on the person that's actually running the ad and what you're selling and what the intention is so how would you suggest people get clear on that um i mean you can always uh there's a lot of groups out there um on facebook where you can like there's facebook uh i think there's well ad espresso is a great community there so there's a there's a tool for a b testing called ad espresso i'll plug my friends there in uh, in, in italy i think they were just acquired by hootsuite um that's a fantastic group uh, you have to pay 
for the product, which is like, you know, something like $60 a month, super cheap. It's, it's really, really affordable. I highly recommend you go and check it out. Um, but their support group is fantastic. Um, they have so many good little tidbits and, uh, my good friend, Paul Fairbrother over there. Um, we had espresso uh, last week in London. Um, he is a wealth of information. So you can always go into groups like that and, and find out, you know, you ask questions and there are so many people in different niches that they can, they'll happily tell you, or you can kind of do a bit of digging and a bit of research. One of the things we like to do, well, one of our strategies, A-B testing, like heavy, 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 uh, aggressive A-B testing. So we're talking thousands and thousands of ads a week in the first six weeks when we're working with a new client to, to test and see, well, what, what, where do I want to be? What's my ideal cost per click and so on and so forth. Um, that, that's when you actually know who your audience should be. You have a good idea. That's when you know what your product value is. And that's when you know what your lifetime value of the customer is. Right. But um, if you don't know any of that, right, you have to kind of maybe stay away from ads for a bit and really workshop and understand what is the value of my product after costs, right? How much profit do I make? Um, how much uh, is one client worth to me? Lifetime value. So they could be a repeat buyer. Let's say it's a product where they could gift to friends. They're buying one for them, one for their mother, you know, three for their friend. Like there, there could be a lot of different opportunities to monetize. So maybe let's put, you know, a dollar value, lifetime dollar value of one customer. Um, and then workshop what it costs or, or not what it costs, but like what's the buyer persona of that person? Now you have this idea of, okay, if my product is less than this much in value or product or, or, or how much, how much I would get from, um, from a, an ad campaign, let's say it's $300, then I know I would need to make, uh, like it becomes math, you know, I need to make, uh, you know, a hundred sales for this to be worth it for me. And if you look at your audience and your audience is, and so you plug into Facebook because that's free, right? You can always see the audience size and whatnot. And you see that you have a, an audience size potential of, I don't know, 500,000 um, who are very relevant to the buyer persona you made. Well, a hundred sales and 500,000 is a lot, it seems very feasible, right? You always look at a percent of a percent of a percent of conversion. So, you know, if you're lucky, you can get one to 2% on, on a cold sell. Um, that would be a really nice way of kind of doing a litmus test thing. Before I do anything, I know that I could maybe get this. But if you do that same exercise and you see, well, the audience is only 500. What's the likelihood that I'll get 300 sales out of an audience of 500? Very low. Very low, again, unless you have influencer backing where people are not hesitating and you have 100% of their attention and your funnel is amazing and, you know, your landing pages are converting uh, at, you know, 90%. Um, so it's, it's a numbers game mixed with, uh, you know, some research about who, what your product is, what it's worth and who you're targeting and how big is that audience on Facebook or Twitter or whatever. That's how you can get a really good idea and inform yourself before you do anything. Um, and then if your audience is really small, right, and you have a very niche product, maybe ads isn't the way to go for now, um, unless you figure out a way to diversify the offerings a little bit so it would appeal to a wider audience. Uh, an example, we, um, we launched our, uh, we have this um, uh, ultimate Facebook ads toolkit, right? So we, we took like the last year of, uh, of A-B testing that we did, and we looked at what performed the best like highest click-through rate, lowest cost per click, uh, best cost per lead, all that kind of stuff. And we put, uh, we put into a bundle of 50 Photoshop templates of like, you just plugging your stuff and run with it. 
Um, and we originally made this for financial planners because it was, uh, like we were getting a lot of requests in, in the summer and we created it and we're like, okay, here you go. But that only applies to financial planners and financial planners, just give them an idea. Um, from our experience, only buy um, marketing material during a certain important time of the year. So we're looking at a uh, okay. window. Yeah, so we, we had all these factors and we knew that we have a smaller audience. We have a very particular timeline we have to fit. And I know that this was this is going to be a two hundred fifty dollars sell. So we further diversified the product offering. We launched the accelerator. So the accelerator is like a CMO for hire, um, and that's like a it, it applies to startups, entrepreneurs, whatever. And that allowed us to be more wide ranging, applying to people that need help. Um, obviously, we have like a we only have twenty spots, but basically this accelerator is. Um, so wide that we can run it 24 7 365 to 40 different audiences and we will never ever hit that you know cost saturation we're talking about so um if if that's the case where you're very niche think about how you can diversify a little bit and if not then your option might be to again focus on influencer marketing where someone who has the attention of your niche and and you know work at a partnership with them because that would be a lot more cost effective than running ads um, for days and, and so just seeing the black hole of advertising eat your budget away. Right, yeah. So it does it it does lend itself again. It's it's having this it's having this idea of being a bit more a bit more specific, I guess, or a bit clearer at least on on whether ads is the way to go and who the ads for, what the products for and all of those kinds of things. It seems like there's so much, so much that a person needs to know and so much that a person needs to understand before they, before they can make the most out of the advertiser. Cause obviously right. there are some, there are some situations where like you mentioned where, you know, maybe ads isn't the way to go. So is, is there a process or a checklist that you could take people through that, you know, once they've had all those ticked, once they've had all those, you know, all, all the I's dotted and all the T's crossed, so to speak, for them mm -hmm. to go, right, I'm now ready for, for advertising and, and paying for people to, to buy the, the product or service that they're offering? Yeah, so, I mean, if you know for sure with 100% certainty, that you want to go the paid advertising route, then you have to have on, like this is my like my list here is having your website done, your branding is all done, so your logo, your tagline, having a clear uh, content strategy. So um, a lot of people avoid this and they think sell, 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 and it it's really counterintuitive because if you look at people who follow big brands, these big brands have content on their page that is relevant to the people who are trying to attract, right? So it's not necessarily everything's being written by them. Um, they'll share a lot of content from Inc. Magazine, Harvard Business Review, wherever. Um, and these are, are, are kind of like attractors. So it's, it's important to have these, some kind of strategy there. So if people were to go to your page or go to your account, they see something. It's not just a barren page that, that is empty. They need to have a reason to follow you or else you lose all credibility. You start to look like a scammer. You start to look like maybe this, these guys aren't serious or whatnot. You have to kind of build trust, right? Because people are not going to implicitly trust you just because you run an ad. And in fact, it's actually the contrary. Now, because ads are so accessible, um, it's it's a fallacy to think I'm going to run an ad. People will buy because they you know it's it's I'm, I'm running an ad. Anybody can run an ad. A 14 year old can run an ad and say, hey, you know, buy my uh, buy my Yu-Gi-Oh cards, my Pokemon cards, whatever, right? Like there's you know, <laughs> yeah. but seriously, like it's it's so accessible. So it really, you need to clearly define yourself and your credibility there um, by doing a content strategy. Um, from there, making sure that it, you know it sounds silly, but making sure everything's set up in terms of like if someone buys, what happens after? Do they get an email? Do they get a uh, welcome letter? Do they get uh, 
I don't know that they get put into your ma- your your messenger bot, uh, you know, funnel thing on Facebook, or you know, what 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 happens after someone purchases? Um, once you have those, uh, then it comes down to strategy to acquire. So not just running an ad, but like we were talking about funnel, understanding what happens if they click the ad, what happens if they click this, and are there any potential opportunities or or uh, um, scenarios for upselling? Can they buy more? Would they be interested in A if they bought B? Um, what uh, you know, is there anybody that can um, there can be a potential fit right away. Are there niches that would buy this that are low hanging fruit? Um, which means like, you know, if you, uh, let's say, you know, that uh, you have a product a and you know, it's, it's very applicable to um, uh, customer A, B, C, D, and E, but you know that customer B has come to you 15 times in the last year or the last six months, and they would be the ideal to start with, you know, identifying, um, audiences that might be, uh, you know, quicker or, or the fastest way to generate revenue um, that have shown a genuine interest in your product already, and then branching out to more of a broader audience or different uh, segments or whatever. Um, if you have these uh, things checked off, then you're ready to start ads, right? Because your ads are going to be consisting of the ad copy, who, are you, what are you saying and who are you saying it to, um, the image or the video or the carousel or the canvas ad or what have you, what style are you going to be doing? Who are you, who, who's going to be seeing it? What do they want to see? Right. Uh, you know, sometimes it's not, a lot of people think, Oh, I'm going to have to go into Canva or Photoshop and create this elaborate design, all these colors. Sometimes it's simple. Sometimes, sometimes people just buy a photo off a of Shutterstock and place it there. And that photo says more than what any graphic designer could say. Um, and I'm, I'm saying a lot here because I have designers on staff and sometimes we have the same conversation, maybe less is more. Um, so, you know, they're going to ask for that and they're going to ask for the link and then, then it's putting it to the right audience and, and seeing what happens. And once, you know, those things are checked off and your ad is up, um, you have to really um, pay attention to what the ads are telling you. Those numbers all indicate behavior, behavior indicators, right? Click through rate. Was it interesting? Um, cost per click, uh, how much is it costing you to reach someone who's going to be clicking on your ad? So not just, uh, you know, oh, I saw it, but I clicked by accident. Is there like a genuine interest? Is there a pattern that, that you can follow? Uh, cost per mill, how much is it to reach a thousand people? And that usually relates to, you know, what's the industry like? How many people are bidding against you? Uh, how hard is it to reach these people during the time of year because of their screen time? You know, is it the holidays? Are they, are they not on their desktop anymore and you're advertising on desktop only? Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of factors there, but, you know, being able to measure and read that data, that the analytics report, and then making decisions for your next campaign, right? Because it's never going to be one campaign said and done. It's going to be, um, I mean, some are dozens, some are thousands. So um, it really depends. But um, the data is something you have to really take seriously and, and interpret properly. So that way the next step is to, uh, to optimize. But uh, those would be like the, the kind of, you know, five steps that I would do, you know, making sure your website, branding, content strategy, um, post-product purchase, and then getting ready, getting ready to, to set up the ad themselves. Right. If someone, someone wanted to learn more about this, so someone wanted to learn about Facebook ads, I know you mentioned the, the thing from, from Hootsuite and, yep. and all those resources, which if, if the listeners are listening and they, they want to go back to that, then, then they can. So I'm going to try not to <laughs> try not to repeat anything, I guess. Yeah. So, so the, there's that mention of the, the, the support groups and things, which is always, it's always nice to have the support to ask mm-hmm. questions and, and that kind of thing. But um, are there any, so if people, did, 
didn't want to learn that way or people that are struggling to learn that way you know the the doing aspect they might struggle with if someone wanted to find more information about the idea of, of advertising in, in general so tr- try not to Try not to be too specific with the with the <laughs> the, uh, the the idea of, of just Facebook ads because obviously a lot of things now are are kind of all over the place now. So we've got mm-hmm. Twitter, Facebook, and and LinkedIn, and I, I think even Snapchat has its own ad, um, ad product now. That's so it's right. having that it's having that that diversity as well. So yeah, what what resources would you recommend for someone who wanted to find out more about advertising using using social media and social networks? Well, there's there's a lot of them out there. Like um, just uh, you know, referring Facebook, John Loomer is a fantastic uh, uh, writer. He's one of the top experts on advanced Facebook advertising, so he can get into the nitty gritty. Um, but if you want Social Media Examiner, it's a great resource for social media in general. Um, where you know, there's thousands upon thousands of articles, podcast guests, uh, um, conferences, and whatnot, and they'll break through or, or, or break down the different platforms and which one's relevant, right? LinkedIn is more B2B. So you're targeting, you know, um, you know, business, uh, you know, C-level executives in a very intimate one-to-one relation. Snapchat is more, um, you know, it's much more like the ages, you know, 12 to 17, very popular. Um, and now the advertising is, you know, that's fairly new. So, you know, you're going to see a lot of stuff on social media examiner there. Um, there's, there's, there's tons. I mean, if you were to just, uh, go on social media examiner or even entrepreneur, uh, dot com, I think you can find tons of, tons of, uh, you know, articles there. Um, if you want to look up influencer, uh, marketing, which applies to any platform really, right. It's not just uh, Facebook. It's, uh, it's very effective on Instagram, on Twitter, on, uh, especially actually on, uh, on Snapchat. Um, look up, uh, my, my buddy, Neil Schaefer. Uh, he just kind of came up with a book called influence. Uh, I think it's, uh, you know, Neil, I'm sorry if I'm butchering this, but it's either out or it's coming out very soon. Um, I highly recommend you read that book. It's uh, it's a great understanding of what's what works and how to get people to uh, to listen to you and to your brand and how to network with people and so on and so forth. Um, <coughs> excuse me. It's a very underrated uh, resource and Neil's a great, great uh, influencer for that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, again, at Espresso University, they have stuff on all kinds of, uh, yeah, they go from the general advertising to the more specific. Um, and uh, I mean, off the top of my head, I can't think of any others, but there's thousands of, of stuff out there. You can, what I would suggest is if you really, really want to get really um, into like this kind of knowledge bomb of sharing, um, look up a tool called Feedly and uh, type in keywords like social media advertising. And what it'll do is it'll spit out all these different articles that have been written recently, that have been written in the last 24 hours, last week, last month, whatever. Um, and you can get a really good idea of what people are saying. And, uh, you know, there's obviously some of the big uh, heavy hitters, like, again, Social Media Examiner, John Loomer, Mary Smith, um, uh, I'm to Neil Schaefer. Um, we're sometimes on there to issue solutions. Um, they have tons of resources on there where you can kind of aggregate uh, who's saying what and at what time. Um, and that can kind of give you a big, a nice springboard of what you're looking for and uh, what you want to do. All right. So was was that um, Feedly? Was it Feedly? Yeah, it's a great tool. Uh, great for uh, collecting RSS feeds or collecting just content in general based on keywords. All right. Cool. All right. So um, before we get to to our last question, mm-hmm. um, how 
how would you like people to find out more about you? Do you have any, I mean, you, you mentioned that you had a website and things, so this is, this is your chance to share that. If someone <laughs> wanted to, uh, to find out more about you, James, where would they yeah. go? Um, so you can find us on uh, .com. Uh I am extremely active on LinkedIn, so you can just you know look me up, James Stefanie Sipchuk. Um, you can find us on Facebook, obviously JSU Solutions. On Twitter, JSU Solutions. Um, we have uh, I've actually just launched an influencer page on Facebook, which is just my name, James Stefanie Sipchuk. Um, so you can find me all there and, uh, you know, you can always reach out to me and uh, if you had a question or something or, you know, if you want to talk about Facebook or, 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 or marketing strategy or social media or your product idea, whatever, I get a lot of those actually, um, probably about five or six a day. So um, those would be the best ways to reach me. All right, James. Excellent. Well, for, for our last questions, this is something that, that I ask everybody. We've had answers ranging from fun to personal <laughs> to almost laugh out loud, probably should reduce the volume type uh, mm -hmm. laughter moments. So, and the, the, um, the question is, what would you like the world to know about you that it doesn't already know? Oh, that is a loaded question. Um, because I'm I'm pretty open book. Um, well, if I, the world doesn't already know, I am a huge, huge uh, Montreal Canadiens fan. Um, again, it's probably like if you did a lot of homework on me, you'd know that. But uh, what, does the, what the world doesn't know, um, I am a huge, massive sushi lover. Uh, I I I like this. If I could open a, my own sushi shop on on the side while doing my business, like a like a kind of silent partner, I would uh, I'd probably be on my bucket list. And I'm a lover of Bloody Caesars. I actually have a, an Instagram account called Hail to the Caesar, which I just take photos of Bloody Caesars. So um, it's kind of those silly things where you know it's 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 fun for a while, but um, that's a couple of things people don't know about me. Awesome. Well, yeah, we've, we've had one guest mention chocolate fudge cake. So I think, <laughs> so I think sushi is one of the, uh, the next things to, uh, to add to the list for sure yeah. in terms of food. Well, James, thanks for, for being on the show. I appreciate you taking the time and um, I'm sure we'll speak again soon. My pleasure. Thanks, Michael.